beautiful. Hello there. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> Hello. Hello, John. Welcome to the party, pal. Hello. My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Hello, Poppy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm Kevin. I'm Chris. And I'm excited to get this month done and over with, sir. Oh, this was a rough month. Another barren wasteland, uh, devoid of anything entertaining. I didn't enjoy a single movie. Can I tell you that with the exception of hearing about a few of these movies, I've never seen any of these movies you're talking about the the movies that we're not going into detail about right those top those the other, no those, oh, i'm talking about i i mean okay so so the number one movie i've obviously heard of ernest goes to jail i've heard of the movie cry baby i've heard i remember being a child and seeing the gods must be crazy box cover when i went to the video store but I've never seen any of these. I don't remember ever seeing Ernest Goes to Jail as a child. Ernest so. Goes to Jail. I mean, I saw all the Ernest movies when I was a kid. So Ernest Goes to Jail. I thought I had seen it. Then I saw it. And then I was like, nah, I've never seen this. <laughs> all right. So let's get right into it so we could get to a month that I can actually be excited about. So coming in at number 16, grossing $259,000 is a movie that I could barely pronounce called Chattahoochee, which apparently is a place. It's with Gary Oldman, Dennis Hopper, uh, an old man. I'm uh, sorry, Gary Oldman returns from Korea, uh, can't find gainful employment, so he decides to commit suicide by police to support his wife. Instead, he gets thrown into a prison for the mentally ill, where he and Hopper fight for better conditions. I found the only thing I found interesting about this, aside from a Gary Oldman De Dennis Hopper movie, it was uh, produced by Mick Jackson, who also directed this movie called Threads. Threads is, uh, I believe, uh, an early 80s movie about a nuclear holocaust. Frank, the neighbor, okay, is absolutely devastated by this movie, and I really want to see that. He also directed um, LA Story with Steve Martin. The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner and Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. Love Volcano. Great movie. Um, yeah, I mean, but it sounds like an interesting plot, but to come in 15th in a month of... 16th. 16th in a month of pure garbage? Uh, yeah. Couldn't have been a good movie. No, I guess not. But anyway, moving on. Number 15, Vital Signs. Gross 1.224 million. It's a Diane Lane love story. I no, thank that, you. that says enough, right? <laughs> Number 14, Impulse. 2.5 million. Um, I, my notes say that there's nothing and nobody interesting about this movie, but I did find out that it had a $9 million budget and it made 2.5. So oh, losing eight, seven and a half, six and a half, six and a half million dollars lost. There's math for you. <laughs> All right. Number 13, a movie called Lisa grossing just over 4 million. It's a horror thriller. Uh, nobody to be noted is in it. How about the director? No. Usually these horror directors direct like everything. No, I checked. I made the sure that be, again, because there is, there's nothing. All right. So interesting. We move on then. Right. So I did. My point was 
I did my research to find anything interesting about any of these movies. And if I have nothing, then believe me, there's nothing. <laughs> Number 12 is the one that you researched because we wanted to go in depth because I found the story interesting about the lead role. <clears throat> the Gods Must Be Crazy too. Uh grossed six point almost three million, Chris. Okay, so The Gods Must Be Crazy was the first of these. Obviously, this is the second one. So the main character played by an actor, oh, I'm going to try to pronounce his name, but I'm definitely butchering it. His name is In Sue or In Sue, something like that. It has, there's a click in his name. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. But regardless, he is a member of the uh, Bushman Farmers tribe in Africa, originally the traveling Bushmen, uh, but they settled down and now they are no longer traveling. They just farm. Um, someone was trying to make a comedy about Africa and they wanted to exploit an African. And so they took a Naksu. I, I'm sorry for leaving out the click. <laughs> uh, and they paid him $300 to star in the first movie, which grossed quite a few million dollars. Um, basically, it was just an exploitation of what the tribesmen do in Africa. A bunch of white people fall into Africa and supposed hilarity ensues. I've never seen these movies, Mm. but the good news is um, because the reason he like made $300 because he was completely unaware of how money functioned because they don't have money where he's from. Um, He doesn't even know his own birthday. Like this is how uh, this is the third world. Deep tribal. Right. Um, However, after starring in this movie, he did get himself an agent. And the agent was able to get him $500,000 for the sequel. Which hopefully for where the area that they lived in was a whole ton of money. Oh, it was a lot of money. He was able to support his entire family through three generations, built a house, rebuilt their farm, and they actually lived a pretty good life after that. Not to mention he did star in four other sequels after this one. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've never seen any of these either. I would be interested enough to see the first one just to see what it was about. Yeah, I would take a look at it. So after a little quick internet research, I found that the original Gods Must Be Crazy actually grossed $30 million. Wow. $30 million. They had a budget of $5 million. And... They only paid this guy $300. Which is like 0.001%. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, he, is the, he is the first billed actor as well. So, Well, he, he made, I guess, less than what's deserved, but enough to make him happy on the second go around. So be happy, I guess. Yeah. All right. Coming in at number 11, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover, grossing just, uh, om- just under $7.5 million. Michael Gambon. Who's that? Uh, that's Albus Dumbledore. And Helen Mirren and Tim Roth in a crime drama. It's about as interesting as that one gets. Number 10, Cry Baby, 7.7 million. Everybody's seen the cover of Cry Baby. Everybody knows it's a Johnny Depp movie. I would venture to say very few people have seen this movie. Yeah, and there's a movie we actually discussed this when we were looking at the list. We were like, we should probably watch this movie. It's a Johnny Depp flick. Let's check it out. And I think you actually gave it a shot. So I tried, and I could watch almost anything. But this is one of the ones I think I tried to cram in. I wasn't like fully engaged in it. It's a spoof musical, kind of like Grease. Um, And it was horrific. Like, I found nothing about it interesting. I found Johnny Depp to be flat. I thought the story was horrific. Well, that's sad. Uh, I I hate a good movie like this, like Grease. Like, I'm not a Grease fan. So a bad movie like this, I'm obviously not interested. Right, that's going to be twice as bad for you. And just so you know where Depp was at in his career during this movie, he did it while he was in the middle of 21 Jump Street. And this is 
the same year as, but right before Edward Scissorhands, where he really broke out. All right. So he, his focus was elsewhere. Yeah. I, maybe this was a payday for him. I don't know how much he got paid. Definitely wasn't a payday. It's before Johnny Depp was making paydays. I, I suppose. Um, number nine, Miami Blues. Uh, it's Fred Ward, Alec Baldwin, and Jennifer Jason Lee, which sounds like a great cast. I'm sorry, gross. I was nine, about to say I'm out for that. Nine, okay, <laughs> 9.6 million. Uh, Ex-con gets out of jail, moves to Miami, and picks up his, uh, again, on his old ways. Oh, hold on, real quick, though. You said Alec Baldwin was in this movie, right? Yes. This is like, there are two movies that we're going to talk about next month that have Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin just pumping out movies like crazy in 1990. Okay. A lot of work. Uh, I'm an Alec Baldwin fan. So, All right. uh, number eight, Wild Orchid grossed $11 million on the button as per what's reported. All right. So this is a Mickey Rourke film and this movie is nothing other than a Skinamax film. Okay. Ooh. It's, it's softcore porn. That's what the entire thing is. Look up the director's IMDB. Just look up the movies that this man has directed. This, this man is unequivocally the horniest director to ever produce movies. So he's basically just a Skinamax livelihood that's that's he's how he made his softcore porn and all he wants to do is film naked girls that's all he's interested in so well, kudos seems to you to work, sir seems to have worked out for him i mean if he's got a imdb page full of the softcore porn <laughs> look good for him if it's his goal mission accomplished great okay number seven uh q a uh grossed uh, just over 11 million Nick Nolte and Armand Assant. We've seen a movie very similar to this already. So a dirty cop shoots a man and the DA investigates him. Wait, um, oh my God, I'm blanking. That's uh, uh, IA, Internal Affairs. Yes, there you go. You worked it through. <laughs> that movie was terrible. So this uh, movie could not be any better. No, uh, not with Nick Nolte and Armand Assant anyway. Uh, but here's the thing. Directed by Sidney Lumet. Do you know what Sidney Lumet directed? I know I do, and I can't think of anything. Okay, a bunch. I'll give you. I'll give you the highlights because there's more. Twelve Angry Men, All which right. is touted as an American masterpiece. Dog Day Afternoon. Okay. Serpico. Yeah. Okay. A wonderful movie that not. I feel like not many people have seen a movie called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead with uh, Philip no. Seymour Hoffman. Well, I would see anything with Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> as would I, but this is also a great movie. A Murder on the Orient Express, the original one from the 50s, I believe. Which is also another one of these movies that's like highly praised, which is, makes you wonder why would they remake that movie. I found the remake enjoyable. Okay. And then another movie that I feel like not many people have seen, but I loved it, called Find Me Guilty. It's based on a true story. Vin Diesel is a mobster that half flips on the mob. But not really. Like, they kind of screw him over, so he's kind of flipping, kind of not. You got to okay. watch it. Vin Diesel, I'm a Vin Diesel fan. I'm not. And He's great as Groot. <laughs> well, okay. And but this is, I find me guilty is very entertaining and very funny. Okay. Number six, Crazy People. This is a comedy with Dudley Moore, Daryl Dar Hannah, and Paul Reiser shows up. Out. Yeah, same. Number five, oh, I'm sorry, Crazy People grossed uh, $13.2 Number five, Spaced Invaders grossed $15 million. Uh, This is a, a kid's movie with Ariana Richards from Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, Jurassic Park. She's uh, Lexi. Lex. 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 All right. Martians Crash Land on Halloween in Illinois. That's, that's the plot. 
<laughs> That's it? That's all we got? Well, there was more, but I... Uh, you stopped after that. All right, it's, it's aliens. Got yeah. it. We got some aliens in a kid movie on oh. Halloween. There you go. Uh, number four, I Love You to Death, grossed $15.6 It's a rom-com with Kevin Klein, Tracy Ullman, William Hurt, River Phoenix, Heather Graham, and Keanu Reeves. Wow. A young Heather Graham. I, was, I would imagine very young. Everybody. Yeah, well, River Phoenix was in his heyday right at this point. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't but, think Kevin Klein was ever young in on film. <laughs> so. All right, so it's 1990. River Phoenix is in his heyday. So I'm going to, I'm, I, I want to see this movie because I've kind of like, since we started doing this, really made it my mission to see every River Phoenix movie. Uh, another interesting point I found with this movie was that uh, the director, Lawrence Kasdan, he has writing credits on, you're going to get super excited, Empire Strikes Back. Whoa. Raiders. Oh, that! Oh, I know who he wrote all three. Uh, Return Indiana of the Jones. Jedi, no, all three original Star Wars movies, right? No, not New Hope. Nope, not but New Hope. All the rest after New Hope. Episode yeah, seven. I remember that name. And uh, Solo, uh, Star Wars the story. Han Solo, sto- yeah, okay, the new one. Writing credits on Which, all of those. By the way, a lot of people talk really bad about that movie Solo. I I've, loved it. I, I thought, thought it was a great, great movie. I mean, that guy to me is not Han Solo, but okay. So I'm gonna stop you because. This is not a Star Wars podcast. We can talk. We, we, you said your piece. I believe that's enough. <laughs> All right, move on. Okay, let's move on. All right, so now we're getting into the movies that we watched and we're going to review. And I apologize that you have to sit through this. I, I'm sorry that I had to sit through and watch these movies. Oh, I was talking to you. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate your empathy then. All right, so getting into it, here we go. All right, so The Guardian is the movie that we were forced to watch and we watched it together this evening coming in at uh 16 million just over 16 million okay it's a boy well i look at some employment agencies i thought i tried this one in santa monica guardian angel these references oh yes hi come in I barely tell you what this movie's about. All right, so I got a I got a plot for you. A pa- pagan worshiper pretends to be a nanny to feed children to a tree. A tree. That's well, pagan worshippers they worship trees. Fine, but also like. It was a literal tree, though. And the tree was alive. Like, it would, like... Barely. I think she had sex with the tree at one point. I I think that's what was going on. Well, she was nude on the tree, so... I mean... And the wolves were running around howling. Yeah. Uh, Where'd the wolves come from? I don't know how they were part of this. Why was it only wolves? 
Like there three are other, of them. There are or other coyotes. Coyotes, sorry. And there, there were other, there are other woodland creatures. You'd think they'd all be involved. Well, she gave she in the very beginning, the opening sequence. She's the nanny for a different family, and she immediately steals the baby from these people within like five minutes and sacrifices it to this tree out in the woods. The tree's not scary. The movie's not scary. The girl's not scary. So I don't know what genre this is supposed to be, but I thought at it's the outset horror. it was supposed to be a horror. It's movie. a horror, but it's not a good horror, and I think that's the problem. Um, I mean, I did write it was a good start. Like the movie started out kind of intense and she sacrificed a baby which i said you know sacrificing a baby is always a bold move yes <laughs> which i agree also i i i struggled to find notes to write for this like all, all I, I could find were things that pissed me off about the movie well it was, it was a horrific movie but that's all i could find though like at one point they're moving the, the main characters are moving into their house and the architect shows up i mean i bought two houses in my life you've bought a couple of houses in your life right did you ever meet the architect of your house? Uh, no. The architect comes in and offers to re-shine the right. floors. The eccentric, quirky architect comes lives down knocking the on the door. He ironically lives down the street. And then he says, what did these people do to this house? We're going to have your floors rebuffed at no charge. <laughs> Is he selling the house? Does he own the house? I'm what awfully confused. But I, back, back to what you're saying about them being on a budget. So they're on a budget. Mm. They're told, they specifically say after they have their baby, because that's the whole thing. She's pregnant. They have a baby. And the husband says, oh, we'll be able to get by. She goes, yeah, if we're both working. Mm. Okay, fine. Fair enough. They're so gonna, now they need a nanny. But they need not just a nanny. They need a full-time live-in nanny who cooks, cleans, and does all their shopping. Right. <laughs> it's not Which, great budgeting. <laughs> at some point in the movie, somebody's astonished that they found somebody to, to cook and clean and take care of the baby. But- they're paying her. All right. So basically, we've made no sense about this movie, but it's okay because you could watch it and make just as little sense of the movie. All right. So notes, first off, okay? Because the plot is that, which you said, to, to want to be nanny or make-believe nanny that sacrifices children to a tree. That's the worst premise I've ever heard for a movie. Like, nobody thought that through. But moving on, right? Let's just say that this is the premise and somebody was going to try and make a movie out of it. Nobody tried to make a movie out of this. No, we go a full 45 minutes from the first sacrificing of the original baby from a different family. Like, that's how the movie starts. It's focused on one family. She kills the baby. Great. Whatever. Then she moves on to a new family. That's the main family that we're following around throughout this journey. Okay. She's with this family for 45 minutes before anybody, anything strange happens or anyone dies. Yeah. I, so I wrote in my notes the classic movie trope where somebody's painting a room and they have paint on their face. <laughs> you know how many times I've painted rooms in my life and never ended up with paint on my face? <laughs> well, if you don't have paint on your face in a movie... Then you're not really painting a room. No, right? you're not really painting a room. Or, or a mural or Anything. some sort of canvas. You're not painting. Yeah, if you paint in a movie, you get paint on your face. That's Without just a doubt. That's the law of movies. It's either you got it on your face accidentally or they have to have a little laughing. Yeah, a paint fight. They have to have a laughing paint fight. It's one of the two. Fine. All right. Whatever. All right. So then I wrote, the premise is just absurd. The tree fought off the three potential rapists for her. Like, this is the best idea they had for a movie. Right. The, so she's just sitting in the woods. And these three guys, uh, uh, mind you, she's in the middle of the woods. There's not a road for miles. Right. And these three thugs, and I 
best describe them as thugs. One guy's in all leather. They might be from leftovers from from Crybaby because they one was definitely in 1950s garb. Oh, absolutely. And he pulls out the biggest, shiniest knife I've ever seen, mm-hmm. threatens her. And they're like robbing her. But then all of a sudden, I mean, obviously they want to rape her because that's what three guys in the woods are going to do. Of to course. A, and one had, one had slugged a can of beer and then threw it. <laughs> yes. So she runs. So you knew they were bad news. She runs. And the, and the guy in the leather just screams, you bitch. <laughs> which, which then my retort was, of course she's a bitch. How dare she not just lay there and be raped by you? Right. So whatever. She goes and she hides in the set, in the, the big scary tree. and Which is not scary. It's not scary. And now they're pulling her out, obviously. They're trying to rape her. But then the one guy's like, oh, hey, baby, want to have a good time? But he's speaking to the baby. <laughs> So I didn't know what was going on there. And then the tree dismembers them and and then the wolves eat them and then none of it makes sense. I want to just move on because I hated this movie and I counted the minutes until this was over. We paused it multiple times to see how much more we had to endure. But you did point out one really good thing about this movie. And when I say good thing, I mean he noticed something so bad that we have to talk about it as in it's good to talk about. Mm-hmm. So the whole movie has nothing happens. These people are completely unaware of this nanny of what she really is. She's just a great nanny by all accounts that they've experienced. Mm-hmm. But towards the end of the movie, all of a sudden the husband starts getting all scared of the nanny because he got a phone call that she's not really who she, she says she is. Okay, fine. But they're running from her as if she's supernatural yet. They don't know that she's supernatural. Yeah, they've never seen her. With any powers, which she has unexplainable powers that are very random that she uses once. Right? She uses one power once, never uses it again. Uses another power once, never uses it again. It's very confusing. And they're running from her. So they, they, he backhands the, the nanny, right? Across the room. Right, across the room. Knocks her across the room. Then grabs the baby and him and his wife are running, getting to the car, speeding away as if she has superpowers, which she does, but they're completely unaware of the fact <laughs> that she has superpowers. So where's the connection in the plot? Right. You got, you got to make them aware. All right. So let's get into our categories. All right. The director? Because uh, oh, I... Yeah, let's go through this. So the director, I... All right. So apparently he... Some people are going to know this director. His name is William Friedkin, I believe it's pronounced. Okay. Um, I've heard the name. I didn't really make the connections. So he's directed such movies as The French Connection, The Exorcist. Come on. Blue Chips and Rules of Engagement. Are you kidding me? No. So where is this in his in his his directing timeline? It makes no sense. How do you direct I mean, How do you, the French Connection and The Exorcist are like literal classics. So it's look, if you know movies, you know that this came after at least The French Connection and The Exorcist. Right. And where was this? It, it, maybe he just was a payday. Maybe someone said, like, well, that's just the thing slap with this movie together. We'll give you a couple of million. Maybe he was going through divorce. Remember they talk about like uh, Spielberg. Spielberg and Lucas when they were going through their divorces yeah. in the late 80s and they yeah. just slapped garbage together. But uh, Howard the Duck, that was their slap together. Fine, movie. but he directed The Exorcist. Yeah, which means that he knows how to direct a horror movie, and that the if, best horror movie of all if time. Any, if any horror movie has ever hit the mark, it's The Exorcist, right? And this movie, I've never seen a movie miss every beat. 
Right. And it's not like, it's like, oh, okay. No, he was just a one-hit wonder for a horror movie. Like, you could say that about some directors, right? But no, he's clearly a good director. Look, his his resume speaks for itself. He's got the French connection. That's... Yeah. An amazing movie. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I have no Top words. to bottom, it's, it's not a movie. That's a film, right? Yes. Yeah. Same with The Exorcist. All I right. mean, you could call that a movie. That's, you could call that a film, too. Whatever he did here, it wasn't either of those. So, All right. So best scene, worst scene? Best scene was when the tree ate the baby. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a best scene, so I'm sorry. But I, I know I'm supposed to be playing the game, but I couldn't with this movie. <laughs> okay. What's worst. the worst scene? You go first. Uh, all of them? I, that's the only Pick thing one. I have. Pick one. Uh, I don't really know. I think what I pointed out was... The, the lack of connection, the lack of a through line with a plot. I don't understand why they were running from the woman where they had no idea who she was. She was only the nanny. So you're going to run a couple, a grown man and a woman of equal size of the nanny is going to take flight in in fear of their lives from a woman? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. So whatever. That's uh, I said the worst scene was the three guys in the woods. It was just. Oh, I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> that was just or maybe no oh wait, I'm going to change I want to change my worst scene I'm going to change my worst scene to the architect who had every door and window open in his house when the three coyotes were trying to attack him his his entire house was made of glass which I'll accept that you know why because you're an architect <laughs> that or that makes sense but why not close things when you get into the house? Also, he tried to dial 911 multiple times unsuccessfully. Like, how hard is it to dial 911? Well, his hands were all cut off from the barbed wire. And then, no, don't make excuses. <laughs> and then he does the, they do the 90s trope. The whole scene, the whole movie is atrocious. This is how the whole movie went. Then they do the 90s trope thing where he calls the police, but the police are unbelieving of his story. Three coyotes are trying to attack him in the hills of California. That's unheard of. You never heard of wild dogs in the they hills only of California. They come down when they're hungry. That's which was just what they said, isn't? Was <laughs> that the cops said to him? They, they said they only come down when they're so hungry. So he's aware of these three coyotes, and the last time he they ate is that his point? <laughs> Whatever. This movie sucks ass. <laughs> Best actor. I don't even know the actors' names in this movie. I said Jenny Segor. She plays Camilla, the the nanny. That's I don't know. I just I just had to pick someone on it. That's at what least, I'm saying. At least she could, at least she could hold a sentence together. The, the flaws, the flaws in our format, are are revealed when we have to watch a movie like this because there is no best actor. They're all the worst. They're all the worst. It's okay to say they're ter- they're all terrible. I said the the guy that played the architect is the worst of the actors, though. All right, he's he's hands down the worst. Most quotable line, and I would use this line in in an in, in everyday instance. <laughs> So the the wife is she's super pregnant and then looking at herself in the stomach with disdain at the size of herself as most women do because they're unhappy with the, that their belly's huge even though it's the baby right and then she's complaining about her size and his retort was I love you Roseanne Barr <laughs> I got I got an actual chuckled, yeah. an actual laugh out loud moment I like the line where. He comes back and the nanny was supposed to take the baby to the doctor, but she goes, I took him to the zoo instead. And he's all pissed off about it. And the nanny is like, well, he had a lovely time. And the dad's just like, of course he had a lovely time. Babies always have a lovely time. He has a lovely time lying on the rug. (laughs) And he's so mad. That was good. All right. Last two notes. Why don't 90s clothes fit 
at all. The man is... It's only the men, though. Hold on. The man's wearing a shirt at least five times too big for him. At least five times. His pants are pulled up to his nipples, and they're MC Hammer pants, and they're with some leather belt that doesn't match. Like... How did nobody look in the mirror in the 90s to be like, well, this doesn't fit. Let me change. Well, I mean, nobody looked in the mirror in the 90s. I sent you that uh, that screenshot the other day of the how 90s is my outfit. And it was literally all the parachute pants and yeah. the, yes. the mismatching colors. It was, yeah, the 90s were a terrible time for fashion. Also, I shit on the director in my notes. I said the director loves the fisheye lens as the baby's perspective. He did it three times in the movie, and it, it it didn't hit home once. No, not once. Whatever. Moving on. This movie sucked. I want to rip up my notes. What's next? Uh, another stellar all-star banger. The First Power. Since the beginning of time, Satan has worked to create the perfect killer. One who kills many without reason one who cannot be stopped. Today, that man exists. Be warned. We're just going to go through a very small door here. Lou Diamond Phillips is hunting a man who kills for the sake of killing. Tracy Griffith might be the only one who can help stop him. I know where he's going next. What? But this location fits the pentagram pattern on the map, and my informant says this is where he's going to strike next. This is the third time in less than five years that Logan has been responsible for the death or capture of a serial killer. See you around, buddy boy. I doubt it. Each death makes him stronger. How did you know where he was going next? I opened myself up to him. You might have executed his body, but his spirit has been released. He has the third power. He could be anywhere. How's the stomach, buddy boy? <laughs> Logan! He has the second power. Hi, cutie. He could be anyone. Sister. Oh, I'm afraid she's not here. Now, he has the first power. See you around, buddy boy. Immortality. You don't have any idea of what you've been facing. You can't go on killing forever. You want a bet? <laughs> the first power. Grossing $21.3 million. Starring... Lou Diamond Phillips. All right, here's what I'm going to say about this movie. And this is the only positive note I'm going to have about this entire movie. Lou Diamond Phillips stars in one of my all-time favorite films, and that is... Young Guns. Okay. I've seen Young Guns, and I'm not exaggerating, more times than any man should see any movie. I I'm dead serious. <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips plays Jose Chavez E. Chavez, and I look at him through rose-colored rose lenses because he played that role. That being said, this movie's a... Trash. Pile of dog shit. Trash, trash, trash. All but trash. seeing Lou Diamond Phillips on film still made me happy. Yeah, but listening to him try to speak throughout this movie did not. He was all over the place. His he one moment it's like, bro, at least show me some emotion. The next minute it was, yo, chill out. You are overacting the hell out of this movie. All right. So before we get into the plot, 
All right, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. He has 146 acting credits. La Bamba, for, it's not the first movie he played in, but his major credit. roles, right? La Bamba, Young Guns 1, then this, then Young Guns 2. After that, nothing. I, I never really looked at Lou Diamond Phillips as this. But I never understood that because I felt like he... He, he had a TV acting career, didn't he? Yeah, 146 acting credits. Yeah. But I'm saying that maybe couldn't carry the, the the lead role, but definitely a decent supporting or third. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I've never hated Lou Diamond Phillips before when I've seen him in anything. Mm. Especially don't hate him in Young Guns. Love him in Young Guns. But this was terrible. But I, I also have to say that the directing in this movie was atrocious. The editing, the editing in this movie <laughs> was so bad. Right, it was confusing. First of all, let's talk about when people are having conversations. And I understand, you got to reshoot scenes and you have to redo lines and sometimes you're splicing, you know, this take with that take. I get it. But you can't leave these long, awkward pauses between responses, which is what happened. Like 90% of the time they're having conversations. They go from one person to the other and there'd be this big, long pause where it's like, yeah, I noticed that's that. clearly an editing, like miss, miss, on, on, miss mark, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, what's the movie about? Uh, so the movie's about, a serial killer, mm. and apparently he has the first power, which is which we later learn is resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, that's how the movie starts out, right? It was this one sister is saying how Satan's work is going to reach them, and it's it's happening in across L.A. and he's going to make his big move soon or whatever. Yeah. And the priest basically tells her, "Be quiet. We don't need more eyes on the Catholic Church right now." Right. So she backs off, and then. Pan to Lou Diamond Phillips, world-class serial killer catcher, apparently. Mm. And he, he gets a tip from a lady on the cell phone. Or not cell phone, because there were no cell phones. Uh, on the phone. phone. <laughs> His actual answering machine. Yes. No, the first scene where you see Lou Diamond, he's talking to her on the phone. And she, she warns him of where the next victim of this person he's chasing, the pentagram killer, is going to happen. Mm. But she says, but you have to do one thing. Don't, Don't let him die. Yeah, no death penalty. So he and he promises. But and then... the first thing he does is push for the death penalty. <laughs> so he, he dies, he comes back, and he starts killing more people. My first note is Lou Diamond is the only recognizable face in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know a single other person in this movie. What about when he's chasing the, the, the uh, serial killer in the, the opening chase scene, like the first time? They, when they're setting him up, oh. and they're chasing him through the woods, and Lou Diamond's shooting at him from... 10 feet away as they're running and misses every shot. An entire clip misses the whole thing. Well, I was going to say one thing about the police work in the beginning of this movie. So first of all, I love that they have a stakeout where they where this woman tipped them off. That's great. It's every for all, three days they were there. Yeah, I loved all the fake costumes. That was fantastic. You had the bum. You had the couple. That was good. I liked. I liked the all bum. that stuff. You had the cop with the the sexually harassing the one other the one female cop. Gotta since the nineties, you gotta sexually harass all those women. Oh, you have. Oh, <laughs> if it's the nineties, if there's not a guy sexually harassing, it's not the nineties. Right. But then, all right. So then the woman goes missing and they're like, oh crap, the serial killer's gone. Or the pentagram killer's gone. Let's go find her. I don't know how they stumble upon this cave, but they stumble upon the cave in like 30 seconds of where he's got her doing some ritual. So there's light glowing from this otherwise dark cave. Like it's a very dark surroundings. And the one cop doesn't even 
He doesn't look around. He just runs straight in. And what happens? He immediately gets taken down. Yeah. Lou Diamond Phillips comes out of nowhere and he does the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's terrible police work. After they they somehow capture the guy, right? And then he's sitting in the in the gas chamber. He got the death penalty. And uh then I was confused to speak to your editing point, which I noticed the continuity issue, which I suppose is the editing issue, but so he goes from real life where the guy's being executed to a dream sequence, which you could tell is a dream sequence. And then, it all seemed like the same thing mashed together. Right. So then the dream sequence is the guy rushes out of the, the uh, he breaks through the, the gas chamber and attacks Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips like wakes up more or less from this quote unquote dream sequence. And then a couple scenes later, they find the woman Carmen, who was the undercover detective or whatever she was. But her body dead, she's dead in the same exact spot that I thought that they rescued her from. Okay. But that she was... You, you just missed that. All right. So the whole idea was I was confused by the gas chamber scene because they played it off as if it was a dream. Yeah. But then he really was dead and was gas chambered. Yeah, he was dead. But I, I thought that I thought that the second part of that where he comes out of that, breaks through the gas chamber was the dream sequence yeah, okay, part. So that, that, that just goes with the whole idea of like you couldn't really tell what was going on. No, very but confusing. The whole thing with Carmen, the, the female cop, was that he now resurrected and finished what he was doing. But and it did, they, the never, spot. they never rescued her? No, they did rescue her. So why'd she end up back in the same spot? Because he had to come back and finish the job. But where was she? They never showed her being brought back to the same spot, did they? No, they didn't need to. They just they were like, the cop showed up the next morning to his house. This is months later. But it was just the pen... Right, that part made sense to me because what happened was he was making a giant pentagram with on the map with all his killings. Fine. So he I had to finish understand. that killing and I guess it had to be the same person that he had started the ritual with. That's okay. that's the way I read that. Fine. Uh, I didn't get it. <laughs> There's a lot not to get in this movie. Okay. What else? <sighs> what else? So, all right. So the woman who called him is a psychic. Yeah. And the the Lou Diamond Phillips and his partner Ollie. I can't, I don't know the actor's name. They go to the they go to the psychic's house, and he's like, maybe we should get a warrant. He goes, I do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not how this works. But yeah. <laughs> Hold on, because I don't think that that you can do whatever you want. So they go in, they they mess up her house, they look, they go through all of her things. He sees she's been researching everything, and whatever. It doesn't even matter because at the end of the day, it was just a way to get them back in touch with the psychic. So you might as well have just had her be home. Why was Lou Lou Diamond smoking in every single scene in this? Because it's the nineties. Do you know I'm so excited when people are smoking in these movies? Not, not, not because I smoke, because I don't, but just the idea of smoking being so open and, I don't know, for some reason it's nostalgic to me. Because <laughs> somebody had to go and ruin that. I guess. This movie is another one where, like, if it was never created, nobody would miss it. No, definitely not. This, is, this was a rough movie to get through. Oh, that's what I wanted to talk about. So when they finally reveal towards the end of the movie what the... What's this called in this movie? The first power is? Right. She goes through that there's three different powers. The nun? The nun. Yeah. She goes through. The third power is possession. Yeah. The second power is clairvoyance. Yeah. And the first power, which is the one your serial killer has, is resurrection. Mm. Except for the entire movie, he's possessing everybody. But she never mentions that he has possession. Right. And then she talks about how Jesus had all three, which I don't remember Jesus possessing people in the Bible. No. 
Well, I you so the similar timing in the movie, the nun, where she grabs that whatever was in that box. Oh, the the crucifix that was actually the knife, which was like a fucking joke. That was a joke. I kind of like that. Uh, I thought it was. That's that's what's gonna kill him. It's not the crucifix. It's not a special crucifix or a special biblical whatever well, artifact that you have. It's a knife. That's it's a hidden in, in the crucifix. Anyway. She grabs the box and the priest is talking to her and she walks out the door like she's going to help them, right? But she doesn't go anywhere. She never leaves. He has to come get the knife from her. I wrote, I wrote continuity question mark. I was like, where'd the nun go? She went to her, her chamber. She took the box <laughs> on a mission to what? The bathroom and then came back to her chambers? Yeah, that didn't make any sense. Why was she stealing the box? Why wouldn't she bring it to them? Why was the priest praying for her as if she was going on some sort of... What's mission? <laughs> I was like, I was like, what's the Catholic word for mission? Oh, it's mission. Yeah, there you go. Uh, All right. Anyway, director Robin Rest Restnik. I'm sorry, Restnikov. Guess how many movies he directed? One. No, two. Oh, <laughs> this and a movie called the The Jogger in '88. I don't want to see that. And then they were like, Nah, buddy, this isn't for you. <laughs> All right, best scene, worst scene. actual quote. My best scene is the unintentionally funny first scene where you see Lou Diamond and the cat's eating a pizza like his, he's... This is my scene too. He's like, his his apartment's a mess, right? Because he's a bachelor, so he's got a half-eaten pizza on, on the table. Cat's eating the pizza, he takes a crumpled up piece of paper and throws it, and the cat gives a real and then runs away. <laughs> I have this written down as my favorite scene too. Wait, hold on. Second, second unintentionally oh, funny scene... Scenes. Also involving the cat, where he's, uh, the cat's like, Lou Diamond's laying on his bed in like another dream sequence sort of thing, which is convoluted. And the cat's clearly like thrown onto his bed from off screen. And the cat, the cat noises as the cat runs away are clearly like sound effects. The cat clearly didn't <laughs> make it. You're right. <laughs> but the cat's making like noises uh. as he goes away. All right. So that was it. All right, worst scene. Uh, worst scene. Oh, does this is the only scene I have to actually have dialogue over? Was when the psychic reenacted the possession in the in the the serial killer's room with the grandmother, and the molestation. I'm sorry. Oh, when she goes into the child's voices. Listen, I never acted a day in my life. I could have done a hundred times better. She, she uh, I don't know how to describe it. It was embarrassing. Like, it felt bad for her having to do that scene. And honestly, it was a good plot point, too. Like, it was actually something... It could have been that, great. Yeah. But why did she have to go into kitty voices and, like, twitching her head and... Or, right, just just say the line. Oh, my goodness. Just get it out. Man. I was embarrassed for her. Anyway. Yeah, she's like, mommy, mommy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, in a little, like... Yeah. Oh, goodness. Your worst scene? My worst scene was the fight scene at the mill. Yeah. Um. It, first, it was the choreograph. It was the choreograph that, that the choreography that killed me. First of all, I had two two points. One, Lou Diamond Phillips got the gum pulled, which doesn't we know doesn't matter because the guy's just possessing bodies. But the guy does a backflip to kick. Why can this guy suddenly know suddenly knows ninjutsu? I don't know. <laughs> um, then, all right. So this is part that really bothered me. So they're up on that like catwalk, I guess you'd call it. 
and the bad guy punches Lou Diamond Phillips. Mm. And he's supposed to punch him to like hang up to knock him off the catwalk, but he's hanging off the catwalk. Mm. If you watch the scene, because I rewound it like three times to make sure I was right, mm. you can see Lou Diamond Phillips like ducking under and purposefully hanging himself off of the catwalk. <laughs> but he's supposed to be like punched off of it. Yeah. So like that to me just ruined. I didn't understand even... too the possession when he was when he was there were no rules. somebody when he wasn't. I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. Favorite actor actor Lou Diamond just because it pleased me to see his face. That, that that's it. That's the only reason why. Worst actor. Worst actor was uh, the girl who was the psychic for see, me. I didn't even think only she be- was worse that one. She scene. was fine. She was fine the entire movie until that godforsaken scene that should have been cut. Nobody thought to cut that scene. Nobody watched that scene in in at any moment in the in the in the editing process of this movie and said maybe we should take this piece of shit out. Maybe it was just the best she could do. I don't know. Um, for me, the worst actor was the. The, the partner, Ollie, <clears throat> just because every time he, when anyone threw a line at him, his response always seemed like when you're watching a movie where someone's reading lines with the actor and like, they're not supposed to be the actor. He seemed like the, the non-actor reading lines with the real actor. You want to know my favorite part of this entire movie? You know what? I'm going to change my, my favorite scene. <laughs> I do this often, don't I? So there, there's a gentleman by the name of Grand L. Bush. Do you remember at, towards the end of the movie, about two-thirds of the way in, the sewer worker, the black guy? hmm Okay. When I saw his face, I instantly recognized it, but didn't know exactly where it was from, so I looked him up. Do you know where he's from? I don't. Die Hard. Do you remember the FBI agents in Die Hard? Johnson and Johnson? He's Johnson. Yeah. And then the, when the older Johnson, the white guy goes, reminds you of Nam, doesn't it? And he replies, I was in junior high, dickhead. That's, <laughs> that's him. That's great. And to see his face was the best him. part it's of so, the it's entire so clear movie. That that's him now. Yes. Thank you for remembering, for the, finding that. The best part of the entire movie. Most quotable line? Oh, I have, I have a great one. Are you ready? Yeah. When the, so this the first possession, I guess, of the uh, the serial killer, and he's got they frame the crackhead or whatever he is. Oh, and he's you in have the jail same cell. line as me. You have the same line as me. He said, "I don't know what this guy's <laughs> bench on, on, but, but he's, he's ready, ready for, for the, the salad, salad bar." bar. Yes. yes. High five, bro. <laughs> That's the only quotable line. That's the, the only movie. one. All right. That being said, <laughs> this movie's done. Next, last, and, and least. Thankfully, least. No, it's. For certain, the worst movie Yet the I highest saw. grossing movie of April 1990. All right. So, look. It, I was never a fan of these movies as a kid. None of them. I remember maybe one or two that I might have bet, thought of fondly when I was a kid. But this was a train wreck. Ernest Goes to Jail. Grows $25 million. America's prison system. A feared and powerful institution. About to be brought to its knees by one desperate man. Oh, uh, I don't think our table has any steak sauce. Touchstone Pictures presents Ernest P. Worrell. Why are you such a screw-up? I'm just that kind of guy. He was just a simple man. The perfect choice. European styling with a decidedly American flair. Trying to lead a good, clean life. He fell in with the wrong crowd. Ended up in jail. The Hooskow, the Slammer, the Joint, Alcatraz, San Quentin, Sing Sing. And got sent to the chair. The hot seat, the dead meat, deep six. It's over, pal. You're out of here, Bob. All by mistake. That's not fair. Burn him. 
But when they tried to charge him with 10,000 volts of electricity... Hit the Ernest P. Worrell... Electro Man. ...took charge. It's all in the wrist. We got you surrounded. Is this the way you treat your mother? Three, two, one and a half. This spring... It's the screen's most magnetic personality. I recommend the lobster. In the most electrifying Ernest adventure of all. He's had a real hard day. Ernest goes to jail. It's slapstick and one-liners after one-liner after another one-liner, and it's episodic. It's not a movie. It's, it's meant for. Five-year-olds. I don't know. What do you have to say about it? Because I don't have much. Well, I said, first thing I wrote, I knew we were in trouble with the silhouette opening. <laughs> Him you, running around. You know what? I thought the only tolerable parts of this movie was when Ernest was playing the, the bad guy. Like, that was an actual <laughs> was, role of a Jim character. When Barney was actually acting. Right. Yeah, I thought that that was okay. Yeah. All right. So the movie starts out. Ernest works at a jail. He gets called for jury duty. He gets to do his... Duty as an American citizen. Uh, and while he's on jury duty, apparently it's for a murder trial in a j- that occurred in a jail. The guy who's on trial recognizes Ernest as looking exactly like his boss, his crime boss from Nash. Prison. Nash. Mm. And then so the guy who's on trial realizes that he can make a deal with Nash, get Ernest to be Nash, get Nash out, get him, get Nash to be on the, the jury and get this guy off of the murder, which is exactly what happens. Which sounds like a decent plot for a movie, had it not been Ernest Goes to Jail. <laughs> so, All right. So first of all, all once right. they switch them out, right? Which actually I thought was a pretty clever. Like you said, it a, it's a clever idea, but it didn't plan out well because it's Ernest. Um, why did this guy decide to hang out with Ernest's friends? You're on the outside now. Well, he was, yeah, I guess, I don't know. The cops don't need to know you're out. But I think you think he, you'd start up your crime business again. Well, he that's, the point was, I guess he was in the bank. So he was like, oh, this is a great thing. I work at a bank. I'll figure out how to rob this. So he just hung around. All right. Okay. Fair. So here's Ernest movies uh, released in dates. Ernest Goes to Camp 87. Ernest Saves Christmas 88. Now, I remember looking that one, uh, back on that one with some fondness. But I haven't, if you told me what it was about, I couldn't tell you. I guess he saves Christmas. All right, so, Hey Vern, It's Ernest, which was a TV series, excuse me, in 88, ran 13 episodes. Then Ernest Goes to Splash Mountain, which was a short, I believe, like a commercial for Disney in 89. Ernest Goes to Jail, which is this in 90. Ernest Scared Stupid 91. Which is my favorite Ernest movie. I remember that one. What? Scared Stupid? Scared Stupid. The Halloween one. Yeah, it was the best one. I remember that being the best one. Do you know how they defeat the goblins or whatever they are? No. With milk. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Ernest Scared Stupid 91. Ernest Rides Again 93. Ernest Goes to School 94. Slam Dunk Ernest 95. Here's where they it really goes off the rails. Ernest goes to Africa in 97. I could only imagine the oh. amount of racism in that movie. <laughs> and Ernest in the Army in 98. Okay? Well, Jim Varney made quite the career off these Ernest movies. All right, so here's the problem, though. Jim Varney was on his way to doing some decent things, voiced Slinky in Toy Story, but only Toy Story 1 and 2. Why? Because he unfortunately died February 10th of 2000 at age 50. I did not know that. 
Oh, now you're doing it's pretty sad. Oh, I mean, I the guy seemed like funny. a good guy. Yeah. I didn't appreciate his acting, but by, you know. He did from, everything for the kids, it seems right. like. Right, yeah. yeah. And so, anyway. Uh, all right, best scene and worst scene. Best scene? I have no best scene. In, but I know I'm supposed to be playing this game, bro, but these these movies were... This, there's no best scene and worst uh, scene in this movie. I will say the best scene. Okay, here was my best scene that I actually wrote down. Okay. When I described it as Ernest Electric... Electro P. Laurel, <laughs> where he suddenly gets magnetized and he's just shooting magnets at everyone. I thought it was fun. It's a kid's movie. Look at it through a kid's lens. If I was five years old, that was awesome. I, they, 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 it was the second time they did that gag, though. Third, actually. Okay, well, then that's worse. <laughs> worst scene? Worst scene was when Ernest was in court on jury duty. And he's getting the ink all over his face. Yeah, I was extremely. If I had un- to pick a best scene, I was so uncomfortable. Yeah, if I had to pick a best scene, that might be it because it was. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like the the train wreck that's occurring right now, and he's just sitting there taking it on the chin. I felt the the right the ink. Yeah. I felt disgusting. It's so disgusting. And Which that means that was a good scene. I guess it does. No, right, whatever. I don't know. Worst scene. Pick pick any of them. That's the worst scene. <laughs> I love that I wrote this. I know I shouldn't care, but the physics in this movie make no sense. <laughs> the uh, floor cleaner on the ceiling, that, that, and that bothered you, did it? And then the fight scene at the end when he's like like magnetized and like floating around. But for some reason, like he can control where he gets going sometimes, but he's like bouncing at other times. And I can't with this movie. All right, best actor? Jim Varney. Rimshot, the dog. <laughs> Oh, the dog, yeah. I mean, that's not what I was thinking of. No, the dog. I thought the dog did the best job in the entire movie. I was thinking the uh, the inmate that's always next to Nash. He doesn't say anything. With the hair? The He's the professional wrestler. I, I don't know his real name. Mm. I should have looked it up. But, know. yeah, he doesn't say a word the entire movie. And then all of a sudden, he like loves Ernest and he like helps him escape. Yeah, at the end? Yeah. yeah. All right, worst actor? Uh, the the uh, Mr. Pennyworth, whatever his name was. That the bank... Uh, Pendle Smith. Yeah, the bank owner. I just wrote everyone else. Everyone else? Yeah. All right. Most quotable line. My father used to love to say, know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> My favorite quote was, this man is a coiled cobra, ready to strike at the slightest irregularity. <laughs> I liked it. I didn't like any of this movie. All right. Well, he's, uh, he's talking about that ridiculous old man with the gun. What do we got? What do we got next month? Look... I'm so excited for next month because there's there's a movie on this list that I've never seen before from a man that I love, and I'm excited to, to actually have a reason to watch it. So we have a, a short list of nothing. The top three are, in no particular order, Bird on a Wire, Ooh. which is Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn. Yes. Cadillac Man, which is the one that I want to see, which is Robin Williams. All right. And Back to the Future Part Three. Woohoo! So I mean, do we might I have to talk about all three Back to the Futures? <laughs> do I need to watch Back to the Future Part Three again to talk about it? No, absolutely not. Will but we watch will it? Will I? Yes. Absolutely. I might watch it twice. And this is the reason why we do this podcast because of these movies that I love that I've seen a thousand times and can still watch again with enjoyment. Finally. <laughs> all right, folks. I'm sorry you had to listen to this. I'm sorry I had to watch these movies. It'll get better from you. We love you. All right. Goodbye.